right, let's uh, open in prayer. Father, thanks so much for a beautiful day out and uh, for bringing us out safely to your house to worship. And as we study your word now, give us insight into what it says and help us look forward, Father, that day when we stand before you perfect and holy and enjoying your presence forever. Thank you for your salvation and for making it possible through your Son. In Christ's name, amen. Um, last, yeah. That's a wonderful report, so that's good. By the way, you can all pray for Donna. She's going in the 22nd for a cochlear implant study. Yeah, her hearing has gotten to the point where her hearing aids aren't really helping her any. Um, So they want her to get checked out. It it may or may not be possible for her to get one because of the kind of nerve deafness that she might have. But at least they're going to check it out. So, 22nd. It's just a consultation and they're going to... They're probably going to have to go back and do a test and all that stuff to make sure it would work for her. Because they're quite expensive. They're around $25,000 or something like that for one of those things. Well, you can handle it. You've got so, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I'll be taking donations in my hat on the way out. You know, got any nickels and dimes. Okay, so. In my spine, it's not from a car accident, it's not from diabetes, it's from getting beaten up and pushed down by men. Okay, so we'll pray for that. Good. Anyways, let's look at the resurrection of the saints. We started talking about this the last week, and uh, i got to watch myself because Barry has the Clarence Larkin book here to straighten me out if, um, if I don't say the right things. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But... Uh, when you look at First Corinthians, and the reason we're starting with the resurrection is that's really important because um, when you look at your eternal state, although right now, if you were to die right today, you would go to heaven in your spirit state, there's coming a resurrection of the body. That's been promised in the Scriptures. See, when, when God ordained, or, or, or not ordained, but decreed salvation, He did not just decree salvation for your immaterial self. He decreed salvation for your material and immaterial self. The physical resurrection is a very important thing. Um, Christ was raised physically from the dead. That's one of the foundations of the Christian faith. In fact, Paul says that one of the distinguishing marks of the Christian faith is a belief in the physical bodily resurrection of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15. And those who don't believe in the physical, literal body, bodily resurrection of the Lord are probably not even Christians. Because that's an important thing. That that physical resurrection showed that Christ, or not Christ, but that God had his stamp of approval on the ministry of Christ, right? Because Christ said, I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to take it up again. Um, We can all lay our lives down, but taking it up again is a little tougher prospect. Um, Christ was able to do that and it proved that he was God. Um, Romans chapter 1 verse 4 says that Christ was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, 
And if that's talking about his humanity, we know that he was a human because he was a fleshly being. He lived in a physical body. It's not talking about flesh in the fallen sense, but he had a physical body and he was descended from the seed of David. And then it said he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. So how do you know Jesus is fully God? He rose again from the dead. How do you know he's fully man? He was made of the seed of David. Both of those things go together. So the physical resurrection is a very important thing and that's something that we can look forward to someday. Someday we will be raised again in a physical form, much better than the form we have now. We will be recognizable. We, people will know who you are. Um, you don't spend all of heaven wearing name tags um, trying to figure out who people are. You'll, you'll recognize. I don't know how that works. All right? But um, if there's mirrors in heaven, I'll be able to look in a mirror and I'll be able to recognize, yeah, that's me. Um, we don't know all the particulars of that. Um, but we are going to be raised again. And 1 Corinthians 15 talks about three phases of the first resurrection. This is the resurrection of the righteous. There, how many resurrections are there? Big, big two. The first resurrection and the second. Who's part of the second resurrection? All the unredeemed of all, all the ages. They're raised again. That's the second resurrection. That's in Revelation 20. And those who are, take part in the second resurrection stand before the great white throne and are eternally judged for their sin. Those who are part of the first resurrection are the holy. It says, Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection on such the second death has no power. If you're part of the first resurrection, you will never stand before the great white throne. You will never be judged for your sin. But then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, there are really three minor little phases of this first resurrection. There's Christ in the first fruits. And there's been a lot of debate on what does that mean, Christ in the first fruits. Well, we know Christ rose again from the dead, right? So definitely he is part of the first fruits. But in Matthew 28, or I think 27, there's a hint that some others raised, were raised again when Christ rose again. We don't know who they are. We don't know what their names are. We don't know all the particulars of that. Um, but there seem to be a, a, a handful, and we don't know even how many there are, a handful that were raised again when Christ was raised again from the dead. Point of yeah. When the veil was rent, there were some resurrections. That's part of the first fruits. That will still be part of the first fruits. Um, you're right. It wasn't when Christ rose again. There's a few that went with them. There were before that. Um, when the veil was rent, there were some raised again. And if anything, what does that prove? What would that prove? That's the wrong passage, by the way. It's 27, Matthew 27. What would that prove? I'm sorry, what would that prove? Yeah. There are two resurrections. There's three parts to the first resurrection. Yeah. Sorry for the confusion. There's two. There's two major resurrections. Revelation 20 says there are two major resurrections, the first and the second. The first resurrection has three components to it that Paul talks about. He talks about Christ and the first fruits. And that would be Matthew 27, 51, somewhere around in there. The, the reference is wrong on the notes. And then, and of course, Christ, because he was raised again physically, bodily from the dead. 
Now, there's a lot of argument like, um, well, what about the Old Testament saints? Did they all get, were they all raised again when Christ was raised again? Um, or, or are they part of the first fruits? Um, I, I'm not, I don't think so because Daniel 12, 1 and 2 seems to hint that the majority of the Old Testament saints are resurrected um, at the tribulation time. Right, maybe part of the rapture time when they are raised again from the dead. The, the Bible's a little fuzzy on this, folks. I, I wish I had a passage I could go to where it describes all of this and it doesn't. You have to sort of put some pieces together and make them fit. All we do know is that there are three major components to the first resurrection. The first fruits, the main harvest, the last gleanings. That's what we know. Yeah. Okay. The rapture. Yeah, the rapture. Right, right. That's First Thessalonians four thirteen through seventeen. This one here. All right. Let's go to the next um, one here. The first resurrection. Here's the first and second resurrection. All right. The first resurrection is reserved exclusively for the saints. Christ or God basically says, the first resurrection, blessed and holy, is he that has part in the first resurrection. So there's two major resurrections. All right. Now, this is what makes it so confusing. Is when you look at Daniel 12, 1 and 2, it appears as though, if you didn't know anything else, and that's the only passage in the Bible you had, it would appear that there's one resurrection. Right? Look at Daniel 12, 1 and 2. Okay? If you, if you look at that, it appears as though, without any other Bible passages, it appears as though there's a singular resurrection. Some are the redeemed, some are unredeemed. Okay? I think what it reads is, As many that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So if all you had is Daniel 12, 1 and 2, you would seem to indicate, hey, there's one resurrection. Everybody gets raised again, and God sorts them out, and that's the way it works. Alright? Huh? Cavemen? There are no cavemen. No, there weren't cavemen. Um, and then if you read, they're human beings. There are no cavemen. 12, 1, 1 and 2. Okay? Now, in John 5, 23 and 24, Christ sort of talks about the resurrection. And he says that there, if that's all you had in John 5, 23 and 24, again, you would sort of think that there was a singular resurrection. Christ says there's coming a day when they will hear his voice and come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life, they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. So again, it appears as though if that's all you had, if that's the only Bible passage you had, it would seem to indicate that there is a singular resurrection. Alright? But the way you have to put prophecy together, and we're going to find this as we go through prophecy, is you've got to put all of the verses together. You can't pick the verses you want. You've got to look at the whole thing. Alright? So... Daniel, the point is, Daniel 12, 1 and 2 does not say that there cannot be two resurrections separated by time, right? All it says is that there is a resurrection of just and unjust. Christ in John 5 doesn't say there can't be two parts to the resurrection, the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the lost. He just says there's going to be a resurrection, some are righteous, some aren't. Where you want to see the... That it split out, you go to 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul, and by the way, Revelation 20, where it is split out. Where there's a first resurrection, 
a second resurrection. And then you look at the first resurrection, there are three components to that. Is this confusing? All right. Maybe I'll do that next time. I'll reverse the blocks in the notes. Maybe I got them. Yeah. All right. The point is the first resurrection has three components. All right. Um, several phrases, first fruits, main harvest, and last gleanings. The second resurrection is for the unredeemed. I think it's exclusively for the unredeemed because they are, they are raised again. How do you know? Well, death and hell were cast alive into the lake of fire. How can death and hell be cast alive into the lake of fire if there's no resurrection? Right? Find, see that? So what happens at the end of the millennium? Well, Christ evidently... And, 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 you know, again, the Bible doesn't sort out all the different, you know, blow-by-blow descriptions. you sort of got to put it together. But at the end of the millennium, the righteous, those who are still righteous, they are part of the last gleanings. They will be raised again into a glorified form. And then you're going to have the great white throne in which God will raise again all of the dead, all the unjust dead of all the ages. They will be judged and they will be cast into the lake of fire as the final um, destination. All right, And there are some people that possibly say, well, what about the millennium believers? Are they part of the second resurrection? Some say that. I don't, think that's what it, I don't think that's the way it is. I think the second resurrection is reserved exclusively for the lost. The believers alive at the end of the millennium will be part of the last gleanings. Okay? Did that all sort out? Hopefully. They'll percolate. The millennium, right. the millennium believers will be raised or, or, or translated, let's say, into a glorified form at the end of the millennium, much like the rapture. All right. Um, so that's the resurrections, okay? Get that all sorted out. You have to think about it. The point is, what, what resurrection you want to be part of first? First resurrection. That's what you want to be part of. What's the resurrection body? When you get resurrected and you're raised again someday, what's it going to be like? What's your body going to be like? Well, this is kind of hard to sort this out in all the particulars, but we get some hints from the Scriptures how our body is going to be. It's going to be like Christ. How do you know that? Well, Philippians 3.21 says that we will be like Him. Let's look at Philippians 3.21. it says uh, our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven from where also we look for the Lord Jesus Christ who will just change our vile body that it may be like His glorious body according to the working whereby He is able to do all things or do, bring all things to Himself. What it's saying is that when we are resurrected our body is going to be like Christ's body. Well, what was Christ's body like? What was His resurrected body like? Um, well, it will be physical in nature, right? And, and this is important because, see, a lot of heresies say, well, Christ rose again from the dead, but not physically. It was just in the minds of the disciples. Or, or there are some that say, well, he rose again, but it, was a, it wasn't a physical body, it was a spirit body. Um, and that goes into the philosophical dualism. Remember when we talked about that? Matter is evil, spirit is good. There's no way anybody would be, want to be resurrected into a physical body because matter is evil. 
Um, that was the Greek philosophy of the day, the dominant Greek philosophy of the day. The Bible says no. When Christ rose again, he told Thomas to do what? Touch me. All right? I'm, I'm, I'm flesh and bone. I'm physical. I'm not some ghost that you put your hand through like a hologram in those TV shows. He, he's a physical body. He had a physical form. Now, admittedly, it's not like our body now. It's a whole different category. But it was physical. We know it had solidity to it. And he could eat, right? Did he eat with the disciples? Yeah. Now, you know, and this is where you've got to look at the white spaces in between the lines in the Bible. Are we going to have to eat in heaven to live? No. You know, nobody's going to starve to death in heaven. All right? There's not going to be any starvation. But can we eat in heaven? Yeah, because you have the, the, the trees, right? With the 12 different fruits and that you can eat. So there, there will be an ability for us to eat in heaven. We won't have to eat in order to live. You know, you don't have to, we don't have to worry about losing weight in heaven. All right? Yeah, you can do that. I mean, whatever, you know. Um, it, it doesn't tell... It, and I like the way Vance Havner said, you know, God didn't give us a lot of details about heaven because it would be like a little boy trying to eat a bowl of spinach with a chocolate cake in front of him. All right, it's going to be so wonderful that we would just want to go out and step in front of a truck and get there. Is the way it would work. It's going to be a wonderful thing, but we are going to be able to eat, but we're not going to have to eat to live like we do here. There's not going to be any toil in in that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting when you look at the resurrection of Christ, all of the nuttiness that people have come up with over the years to try and explain it away is really answered. I mean, they say, well, he didn't rise again from the dead. Well, then how did a ghost eat? Or how did a spirit eat? You know, he ate food. He, he was touched. He was a physical form. Um, all of this indicates that this was a bodily, physical resurrection. It wasn't a spirit that you saw there. Um, it will be recognizable. Now, this is interesting. What was Christ evidently able to do? Yeah, he was able to veil his appearance. Now, are we going to be playing celestial hide-and-seek where we go up to somebody and say, guess who I am, and we, you know, all that kind of stuff? I don't think that's the way it's going to work. I think in Christ's case, it was different. Remember when uh, Mary saw him in the garden, she thought he was the gardener? And on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples didn't recognize him until he revealed himself to them. Don't know how that works. You're going to have to go with your imagination on that. But evidently, Christ was able, in, in his glorified state, to veil his appearance. Are we going to be able to do that? The Bible doesn't tell us that. The Bible does say we're going to be recognizable. When, um, for example, when Moses and, and um, Elijah was transfigured, did the disciples need name tags to figure out who they were? Now, I don't know how that worked. But they evidently knew who they were. They were able to recognize them. Recognize Lazarus. So, I mean, there was a recognition there. How that works, I don't know how that works, folks. I, I really don't how, how it all works out. But the point is, we will be recognizable. They were able to recognize who Jesus was. And we will be able to recognize one another in heaven. We will not, again, need name tags um, when we get there. We're all going to be recognizable to one another. Um, yeah. 
Okay, first the recognizable. Uh, what about babies that were aborted and such, you know, or miscarried or what have you? Will the mother be able to recognize? Um, the Bible doesn't tell us about that, but I do not think that eternity will be filled with a lot of screaming babies. No. All right, there will be an adult form. Again, we're not told, folks. You know, but I do think in in that case, I do think mothers will be able to recognize their children in that case. I mean, I think there's going to be that. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of members of my family that died when they were babies. Um, when I get to heaven, I'll be able to see them. All right. I've always thought that because our body is going to be like Christ, therefore, since he was able to do two things, it's reading the white space, yes, but it seems safe to conclude that because the door was locked where the disciples were, but yet there he was, he was able to just be there. Mm -hmm. And the second part is, I think he was able to teleport, therefore we will, meaning just will himself to be somewhere, and there he was. Yeah, there's no indication that that's not going to be the case. Right. But if you had a choice of where to be, where would you want to be? In heaven with God. <laughs> you oh, know. no, no. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it says we'll be like him. I don't know all that means. I mean, the Bible doesn't tell us. It gives us hints. It gives us some, some you know, tidbits of what it's going to be like. But there's not an anatomy of the resurrected body anywhere in the Bible. There's no, we don't know what that's like. It, it doesn't tell us what it's like. Um, it's going to be eternal in nature. It's never going to die. It's never going to grow old. Um, you're not going to lose your hair. You're not going to need glasses in heaven. Um, you know, th- th- there's just a lot there that we don't know because we're not told all the details of that. Okay? Um, it's going to be an eternal body. It will not be spatially limited. That's what we talked about there. It's not like you're going to be spatially limited to one spot. You'll be able to move around. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that operates. I mean, the New Jerusalem is a cube of about 2,000 miles on either side. You know, you're not going to need cars and automobiles to get around there. You're not going to need escalators. I don't know how that works. I don't know. It doesn't tell us that. Um, I do think there will be, like as Sammy said, the possibility to just will yourself somewhere and be there. I don't know how that works. Like a little Star Trekian, you know? Beam yourself over there. Um, it's going to be an eternal body. What does that mean? It's, it's never going to decay. See, right now our bodies are subject to decay. We're winding down. We're growing older. You know, things aren't working anymore. Um, in our eternal body, we will never grow old. We will never die. We will never fade. We will never have any physical disability. There won't be any doctors in heaven. There won't be any health care specialists. You don't need that. It'll be an eternal body. It'll be a perfect body. It won't wear, it won't grow old, it won't die. Um, now, there's a lot of speculation there about, okay, what about babies that die? You know, what, how do they appear in heaven? Alright? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. Alright? But I do think you can make this pretty safe assumption. They're not going to be babies in heaven. There's not going to be an eternal nursery full of babies that are in their glorified state. Uh, they're going to be in some form of adulthood. Okay? And, you know, it, this is interesting. Um, I've done a lot of my family history and things like that. And I have pictures of my grandmother when she was in third grade all the way up to when she died. And I can pick her out of a lineup. 
I can do that. I can pick her up. And Donna, my, Donna's a dead ringer. You can give me a picture of her with a hundred kids and I'll be able to spot her in an instant. I don't know how that works. <laughs> you know, they have these programs now, facial recognition programs, where they can take you and age you. I know that's pretty cool. You know, they can make you, they can take a picture of you now and they can work it back and, and it's pretty doggone close to what you were when you were a youngster. I don't know how all that works, folks. God didn't tell us that. Um, probably we would look like we do in the prime of life, maybe 20s, somewhere around in there. It doesn't tell us. It doesn't give us all of the details, okay? Um, and I think that's one of the things where you just say, well, I'll have to trust God on this. We just, not, you know, He'll take care of it. He'll sort it out. Um, we will be recognizable. Um, when I get to heaven, I will have hair. I won't need glasses. You know, you'll be able to recognize, and you'll still be able to recognize me. You know, some of you remember me when I had hair, you know, but um, you'll be able to recognize who I am. You'll know, oh, that's Schaefer over there. Um, it will be immortal and incorruptible. What does that mean? You will never die and will never decay. Age. There's, there's not a touch of decay. How does that work? I don't know how that works. There's no aging. There's not going to be any geriatrics ward in heaven. All right, you're not going to get old. You're not going to get decrepit. You're not going to need a cane and a walker. You know, it, 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 we're going to be. It's a perfect body, perfectly suitable for an eternal state of existence. I don't know how to explain it any better than that. Then all of these things that we have to worry about now are gone, right? God says He's going to wipe away all pain, wipe every tear from their eye. There'll be no more sorrow, pain, or crying. For all that's passed away. Well, there's, there's no pain. There's no physical disability. There's no... You're not going to get old. You're not going to have things not work. That was the original plan for Adam and Eve plus us. Yeah. And it is still the way it is for the angels. Mm-hmm. The angels don't age. How does that work? I don't know how that works. I mean, God created them with the body, Right. Um, so, and quite honestly, you know, if you look at anatomy and stuff like that, they don't know why you age. I mean, they have some indicators of, you know, genetically how it happens. But theoretically, your body should last forever, provided, you know, you don't fall off a cliff. Um, but it, it's going to be an immortal body. It's going to be like Christ. We're going to be like Him to be able to enjoy heaven. It's going to be body perfectly suited. This is the idea here, folks. It's going to be a body perfectly suited for the environment in which it will be. You're going to be in heaven. You're going to be in the presence of God. So whatever body you wind up with is going to be perfectly suited to live in that environment and to be able to experience that environment in all of its joys and all of its beauty. You'll be able to appreciate the beauty. Um, you talk about the eternal state, the, the, the light and all. You'll be able to appreciate that. Um, I got up this morning and I don't... If anybody knows me, I'm not like Barry where I get up at the crack of dawn. I don't get up at 5.30. I think people get up at 5.30 are weird, unless there's a reason to get up at 5.30. They're whack, they're, they're nuts. But I, I got up and I saw a little bit of glow, so I went out on the back porch in my bathrobe and I took some pictures of the sunset. Or yeah, sunset to sunrise. <laughs> See, I didn't even know, I'm so tired I didn't know whether it was up or down, you know. Yeah, and I got some pictures of the sunrise and I enjoyed the beauty of that. I enjoyed watching the sun come up and the glow of the off the fog on the grime. It's pretty cool. I got some pretty cool pictures. But, you know, you see the sun coming up and I, I remember just standing there enjoying the beauty of seeing the sunrise. And, and I love seeing sunsets. Um, 
There's a tree across my the way in the development that's probably the most photographed tree in Lorraine County. So I've got like 200 pictures of the doggone thing with the various sunsets around it and all of that. And, you know, it's beautiful. beautiful. And when you get to heaven, you're going to enjoy beauty. You're going to enjoy God's beauty. It's, it's going to be a place of enjoyment. God created it in order to be enjoyed. Heaven is not going to be full of us sitting around singing, you know, one million line, choruses. You know, verse one million of amazing grace. All, that's all we do for all of eternity. We're going to be enjoying it. We're going to enjoy the beauty of it. We're going to enjoy the fellowship of other believers. I don't know what all heaven is like, but it's wonderful. It's a, and, it'll be, and you will be perfectly suited in your body to enjoy it. Be perfectly suited. Where is it? Where's heaven? It's up. There's a movie. I've I got to go see the movie Up. I gotta go see that movie. Heaven is up. How do you know heaven is up? Well, whenever heaven is talked about in the Bible, it's talked about as being up. All right. And um, when you when you look at heaven, heaven's actually the, the original word just means the up part. Okay, that which is up. And uh, when you when you look at the the scripture and the usage of heaven in scripture, there are really three major uses of it. There's an atmospheric heaven. That's where the birds fly. The birds fly in the heaven. Well, do they fly in the heaven of heavens? No, they fly up. Okay? So there's the atmospheric heavens that the Bible talks about. Okay? And then there's the second heaven, the, the stars, where the stars are. Genesis 22:17. Abraham looks up into the heavens. What's he looking at? The stars. Okay? That's a heaven. That's up. That's an up part. And then the Bible speaks of the third heaven, which is the abode of God. Where's that? It's up. Okay, physically tell me. Well, how far away is it? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. You know, if you go in all the time, space, warp, mechanic type stuff, it could be in a different plane of dimension. We're not told that. It's, it's up. And how do you know it's up? Well, Christ, when Christ ascended, what did he do? Up. When um, Elijah was taken, where he was taken? Up in the heaven. Okay? Um, and when Christ comes back, where does he come down from? Heaven. I don't know I don't know where it's at. I don't know where it's at physically, spatially, out there somewhere. I, I don't know how that all works, but the Bible seems to indicate it is up. Alright? Um, and both the Greek and Hebrew words for heaven denote something that is up. That's about the best you can do, folks. Heaven is up. It's up there somewhere. I don't know where up there, but it's beyond the stars, beyond the atmosphere, somewhere there God exists. Yeah. It's way up there somewhere. And um, that's as best you can do. When was it created? When did God create the heaven? Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens, plural, right? And the earth. So God created them in the beginning. He created the heavens and the earth. And not only do I think that it refers to that, it refers to the atmospheric stellar and abode of God. Now, prior to the existence of the universe, where did God exist? Everywhere. Right? And, and remember, we talked about it. God is outside the box of creation. God is outside the boundaries of space and time. God exists above and beyond the universe. 
Alright? He is not part of the universe. He is a beyond the universe. No. There was no heaven at all. He was everywhere. So when God created the universe, He created the heavens. Alright? And, and, and I don't know if I come up with this in a later slide. Sometimes I don't remember what's in the later slides, so I just sort of like go ahead of myself. But um, some people say, well, now, okay, why is it that God is in heaven? The heaven. Why, why is God there? Um, when you say he's omnipresent, which he is, right? He's everywhere at once. How can you say he's in the third heaven? Well, the answer to that is it's yes to both, right? Is God everywhere? Yes. And remember when we studied omnipresence, that means God is everywhere equally in the same measure, right? So God is not more in heaven than he is here, right? That's, that's the whole concept of omnipresence, I mean. God is everywhere equally at the same time because he is outside the boundaries of creation. He's outside the universe. He is everywhere equally in the same, at the same time. But where, his, where to the creation, to the universe, is his presence manifested in heaven. That's where his presence is manifested. It's not that he is there and not here. He's everywhere at once. But his presence is manifested in heaven. Okay, the glory. That's, that's where His presence, His eternal, outside-the-box presence is seen by the creation is in heaven, on the throne of heaven. Making any sense? I mean, yeah, right now, there are radio waves and TV waves and all that electromagnetic stuff in this room. We don't see it, but is it here? Yeah. But now if I bring a television, all of a sudden what happens? The invisible is made visible. Uh, that's a bad analogy maybe, but the whole point is God is everywhere at once, but His presence is manifested in heaven in the Shekinah glory because if God were to display His glory all over, we would all be dead. Right? Yeah. But Christ veiled His glory, didn't He? If Christ had not veiled his glory, we would have all been burnt. Alright? So, yes, God is everywhere equally in the same measure, but we see his presence manifested particularly in heaven. Okay? That is his abode in this universe, so to speak. Although he is everywhere at once, we see his presence in heaven. That's because we are creatures of spatial location, right? We, we are, we're not in two places at the same time. We're in one place at one time. And so, that's, is that making any sense? Am I explaining it? Okay. So, it was created when God created the universe. <laughs> I, I didn't know I had this. See, I get ahead of my... Um, he is omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time in the same measure. He's not more there than here. You know, simply say, Oh Lord, please be with us here. Wait a minute. He's here. He can, you can't ask him to be more here than he already is here. All right? Um, but we see his manifested glory and presence in heaven. That's where we as physical beings or as spirit beings are going to see his manifested presence. 
Yeah. What they do is they equate the material universe with God. Okay? That's monism. The material universe is God. God is the universe. No. If you subtract the universe, God's still there. Okay? So is God in the table? Well, in the sense that His presence is everywhere, yes. In the sense that the table is God, no. Okay? So, you see what I'm trying to get at there? So, you know, there's no place... In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 139, where am I going to go from your spirit or where am I going to flee from your presence? If I go to hell, you're there. If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go to the east, you're there. If I go to the west, you're there. You're everywhere. I can't get away from you. Because God is everywhere. You know, you can get in the fastest rocket ship and fly at warp 9 to the other side of the universe and guess what? He's still there. You can't get away from Him. He's there. So that's, that's how that operates. Um... I'm going to get in trouble here. I'm going, to, I'm going to take a slight detour because Barry's been chomping at the bit on this since, since uh, we started this thing. Uh, there's a lot of people that say, well, when you die, where do you go? Like right now, if you were to walk out and you don't pop over dead, where would you go? Well, the Bible says in Philippians, Paul says, for me to, you know, to part and be absent body, be present with the Lord. Um, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. When um, Stephen died, where did he go? He saw Christ at the right hand of the Father and he went to heaven. Um, in Revelation, where are the dead saints? In heaven. Okay? So, it can be said without a lot of difficulty, without a lot of proof texting or anything like that, when you read the New Testament right now, if you were to die, the believer who dies now, they immediately go into the presence of God. Okay? Well, how do you do that for your spirit? Well, you have an immaterial body. I don't. What's that like? Don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us what it is like. Right? But it is a body. There's some kind of immaterial form that you have. Um, Christ, or not Christ, but um, John said, I saw the souls of them who were martyred. So there's some kind of form that they had. They were not... Again, your spirit is not this omnipresent thing. It's a localized thing. I don't know what it's like. I mean, it doesn't tell us what it's like. There's an immaterial part of you. And, by the way, that's recognizable too. How do you know that? Well, when Saul had the witch of Endor conjure up Samuel, Saul recognized Samuel, right? He could recognize the guy. All right? So there was a recognition there. Um... But what our spirit body is like, we don't know. But we'll be in heaven. We'll, if you were to die today, you would be in the presence of the Lord in heaven. All right? And you would stay there and await your resurrection body at the rapture. We're going to sort that whole prophetic thing out in the prophecy piece of this, this series. But that's where you would be. However, there's been a debate. Okay, what about the Old Testament guys? I mean, when they died, where did they go? Because the Bible seemed to indicate they went to Sheol, right? That was the and where's Sheol? Sheol is the down place, okay? Well, you know, I don't know if you can really be completely 100% sure, dogmatic beyond any shadow of a doubt on this concept. Um, there are some Bible scholars, and, and Clarence Larkin being one of them that has said, well, when the Old Testament saint died, he went to a place called paradise. 
Okay? Remember Christ said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. And when Christ died, he descended into earth, right? And Ephesians says he went down and led captivity captive. All right? And there's been a lot of speculation saying, well, when an Old Testament saint died, they went to this place of rest, a peace of rest, called paradise. They didn't go to the presence of God because Christ had not yet paid the penalty for sin. So they could not go to the presence of God. Nevertheless, they went to this place of rest. And a lot of people take the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And they say, well, see, I mean, the rich man could peek over and see Lazarus and even Clarence Larkin drew this really nifty diagram. You know, you had the hell component and you compartment, you had the paradise compartment, and there was a place where you could look over and see each other. And I'm not sure you can be 100% dogmatic on that. And the reason being is, what if the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is just that a parable? It's not meant to display reality. It's just a parabolic thing to show that Christ was trying to give a, a point that the rich man... In hell, recognized he was there. He wanted his friends to be, his brothers to be saved. It shows the torments of hell. It shows how God reverses what apparently is injustices in life. Um, is that a parable or is that a description of reality? Well, if it's a description of reality, there appears to be two compartments, right? If it's a parable, you're not necessarily limited to two compartments. And then the question comes, well, when Elijah went up, what did he do? Did he go up and then sort of make a detour and go back down to paradise until he could go up again? Or, you know, or, yeah, well, what about them? Um, the Bible's not clear on that. It's just not. The Bible's not 100% clear on that. Um, it could be. It could be that there's a place called, there was a place called Paradise where the Old Testament saints went and where they had a place of rest. It was not a place of torment. It was a place of rest. All right? Because the other thing we understand in the Old Testament, and you gotta, when you look at the Old Testament, realize that's a picture book. That, the Old Testament does not describe all of the details of the resurrection, does it? It doesn't, there is one. It doesn't tell, you know, we have, well, you have really three pieces of that. You have this. That. It doesn't tell you that. It's a generalized um, description of things. In the New Testament now, you see the detail. You see it all worked out. You see all the details given to you. Um, so I don't know whether you can be dogmatic on that. And, and I don't think there's, a, there's a, like an orthodox position on that. I don't think it's a statement of faith. God is not going to ask you, okay, quick question before I let you into heaven. Where did the Old Testament saints go? Did they go to heaven or paradise? And if you get the wrong answer, you miss it. I, I don't think that's, that operates that way. We're not told in great detail. God, and, and again, for example, when are the uh, fallen angels judged? The Bible doesn't tell us that, right? It doesn't give us a judgment day for them. They're judged, aren't they? But it doesn't tell us when. And I remember sitting in a class with Dr. John Walbert. You know who he is, right? You know, like the granddaddy of eschatology, the, the, um, the, the president of Dallas Theological Seminary for many years. And he had the, he had the funniest Polak jokes. I'm sorry to tell you that. He could, he could rattle them off one after another. Hopefully you're not Polish in here, but he, he had the jokes. He asked, he asked the class, he said, why do all Polish people go to heaven? And he said, well, we don't understand. He said, well, they never reach the age of accountability. You know, this is the guy that wrote theology, you know. He's just a funny guy. But anyways, uh, he, um, 
I asked him this. I said, well, what about all of this? He says, well, you've got to understand, God did not fill in all the details of eschatology. He did not tell you all of the details of what happens. He leaves some of that up to you to trust Him. We're going to find that out when we do eschatology. Are there some things we do know that's going to happen? Absolutely. But do you know a blow-by-blow, event-by-event description of how it's all going to work out? No, we don't. God didn't give us that. Yeah, and what does that mean? The only angels we can judge are the fallen. Yeah, and what does that mean? Well, we can even debate on that, what that means. I mean, the the point here, folks, and and I don't want to... You know, it's nice to talk about this a little bit. You need to realize God did not give you every answer to every question that you have. And at some point, you just got to say, okay, I'm going to trust Him on this one. He's going to do the right thing. I'm going to just trust Him on it. Yeah. Right. Yes. And I think if you look at the word in the light of his purpose, everything is there to be Right. And that's an important thing. I mean, first Peter or second Peter says God has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He did not leave something out of the Bible that, that he missed that we've got to sort out and find now. No, He gave us everything we need to know. And it's nothing more than what you do as a parent when you tell your child you don't need to know all the reasons. You've got to trust me on it. God does that to us. God has not given us every single detail of how it works out. We have to trust Him on it. Okay? And that's the best I can tell, tell you on this. I wish I had you know, all of the descriptions and all the answers and all of that. I don't have that. God has not given that to us. But He's given us enough to know what we need to know. And, and let's go with what He's given us. Let's to have faith in what He's given us. And those little things that, you know, scratch our head in the middle of the night and say, I wonder when... Okay, fine. Just, just let those go. Okay? Um, so that's the description of paradise. Um, there, there are hints in the Bible where it seems to be that it's a place, a separate place in, in the... In the lower parts of the earth where the, the righteous dead went. There are other places where it seems to indicate that no, you go to the presence of the Lord. Um, John MacArthur, for example, just recently, I heard some messages, he believes that the Old Testament saints went into the presence of the Lord in heaven. Okay? And I have tapes from him 25 years ago, 30 years ago, where he said, no, they went to paradise. So he's changed his mind. Alright, it's okay to change your mind on that. You realize that, right? Because as you grow mature and spiritually, you're going to change your mind on things. Why? Because you're learning more stuff. It's not, a, it's not an issue of orthodoxy. Who's going to be in heaven? Who are the citizens of heaven? Who's going to be there forever? Well, the holy and elect angels. Who are these? These are the angels that did not fall. They're called the elect angels, the holy angels. Um, how many of them are there? Well, about two-thirds, right? Um, we know one-third of the number fell, two-thirds didn't fall. How many? Give me, a, give me a number, Schaefer. I don't know. I mean, John said 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. 10,000 is the highest number. He has said Googles and Googles and Scads and I don't know how many of them are there. 
We don't know. The, the Bible doesn't tell us how many. Two billion, three billion, eight billion, twenty billion. We don't know. Um, there's a lot of them. Um, and they're holy and elect. They, they have not fallen. They're going to be there forever in heaven. What are they going to be doing forever? Don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. I'm probably worshiping God. You say, that's boring. No, it's not. You, you realize just standing, you could stand in the presence of God for a million years and not be bored? Just standing there and you would not be bored. Yeah, you're worshiping God there when you look at a, well, when I look at the sunset. You know, I'm not worshiping the sunset or the sunrise. I'm worshiping the Creator behind it. Um, you, we, we, you know, we, we, we have this very, we have this view of life that's constrained by our physical limitations that we have down here. We get hungry, we get tired, we get thirsty, all that kind of stuff. You're going to not be bounded by any of that in heaven. And you're going to be able to stand in the presence of God for a million years and not be one bit bored. How does that work out? I don't know how that works out. But you're not going to be bored in heaven. Um, and the holy angels are not going to be bored. They're going to be worshiping God, praising God. The Bible doesn't tell us what they're going to be doing. It, it doesn't say. Um, it's going to be a time of one. It's going to be a time of fellowship. Can you, you know, think of having a million years with every redeemed person who's ever lived to just get to know them a little bit. That's sort of a fun kind of thing to think of. Um, this is well, yeah speculation that the um, reason we're not told more than we're told is because even if God told us, we wouldn't understand it because words are not sufficient to do justice to, and therefore we're still like don't get it. So there. The yeah. stuff that he has told us is incomprehensible, really. Yeah. I mean, I read in Revelation about a tree that's going to bear a different fruit every month, and there's rivers on either side of the tree, and that sounds nice, but I don't really, yeah. Yeah, I think, you're, I think you are absolutely right. If God did tell us what was heaven was like, we wouldn't get it. Because words cannot put it. I mean, look at poor old John. Here's a guy picked out of the first century and plopped in the middle of heaven. He said, okay, describe the new Jerusalem. He said, well, you know, it sort of looks like, I don't know, it looks like a diamond. It looks like there's a jasper stone there. Is it real diamond? Is it real jasper? Is it real emeralds? No, but what did it look like to him? Yeah. Um, are the streets gold? Are they gold like we know it? Atomic element? Whatever it is. No, but what did it look like? Gold. He's, he's, trying, he's grabbing at descriptive language to put it in the terms that we can understand because it's indescribable. And I think you're right. Our existence in heaven is so indescribable that were God to describe it to us, we still wouldn't get it. We're not going to get it until we're there and enjoying it and then we'll get it. Um, it's indescribable, folks. It's not going to be a place of boredom or anything like that. It's, it's going to be a place where, you know... Some say, how long have you been here? Well, we've been here about a billion years. Are you kidding? I just got here the other day. You know, what, what do you mean? We're a billion years in already? Time is meaningless. And try to figure that out. Try to put that into your brain, you know. I've lived 50 years and I think, wow, that's a long time. No, it's not a long time. I mean, that's like that, right? Some of you have been down the road a little farther than me. 
Some of you haven't gotten quite there yet, but, you know, time, we're bounded by time. And in heaven, you're not bounded by time. There's, there's no clocks. You know, there's not going to be any of that stuff. And even though we know that intellectually, that's incomprehensible. It's incomprehensible to us. You know, but the holy and elect angels, the 24 elders are going to be there. Who are they? Well, they apparently seem to be the worship leaders of heaven. That's the best I can figure it out. Whenever you see them show up in Revelation, they are um, worshiping God. Who are they? Don't know. The Bible didn't tell us. It says there's 24 of them. Uh, why 24? And some say, well, you know, it's uh, 12 for the Old Testament uh, patriarchs and 12 for the 12 apostles. I don't know. And again, you know, people say, well, you need to write a book on that and figure out who the 24 are. We don't know who they are. Nobody knows who they are. Okay? The Bible doesn't tell us their names. It says there's 24 of them. And you just got to go with that. That's the best you can pull out. The church is going to be in heaven. Who's the church? Well, that's all the redeemed of this age, right? From the time of Christ's resurrection till the end of the tribulation, we're all part of the church. We're the body of... Well, not the tribulation, but the um, rapture. We're part of the body of Christ. We're a distinct people called out by God. We're going to sort all that out in the, in the study of last things. But we're going to be in heaven. That's our home. You know that, right? And the Bible again and again says, you know, your citizenship is really in heaven. It's not down here. It's in heaven. And yet many Christians act as though this is all there is. This is not all there is, folks. This is, you're traveling through a foreign country right now. I was listening to a message this other week where we need to act like we're, we're foreigners. We're a foreigner in America. We don't really belong here. We don't, we, we're not part of this culture, technically. Um, I remember eating lunch Saturday, Friday with some of the guys whom I, I work with. And the more I, I was sitting there and they were talking and going on, I'm just sitting there thinking, literally. I said, you know, I really... I don't belong here. These, I don't have any of these same desires. I, I, I have no idea. Somebody mentioned some guy, some musician. I have no idea who the modern musicians are. I don't know who the modern rock bands are. I don't know what they play. If you play the song, I wouldn't know who did it. This one guy has, I'm not kidding you, this one guy has, I asked him, how many CDs he has? He has about 10,000 CDs. He filled up two iPods of music. I mean, Unbelievable. Um, I'm not part of this. I'm not part of this world. We're, I'm a foreigner. My, my home is really here. And I think as Christians, maybe it would be helpful for us to understand this is where our real destination lies. It's not down here. It's over there. And we get so busy trying to make our little sojourn here comfortable and all of that stuff that sometimes we fail to see the eternal thing. And, it's interesting to read the Puritans. You read the Puritans, you'll understand that the Puritans lived their life with death every day. You know, if you were parents, it was not uncommon for half your kids to die before they hit one. That was common. You lived with it commonly. And they, when you read their writings, they lived their life recognizing that this place is a temporary place. And you know what? They really weren't, didn't get too comfortable down here because it really wasn't all that great down here. See, we have it great down here, don't we? We have nice homes, air conditioning, you know, all that kind of stuff. Folks, this is not where it is for us. Our home is over there. That's where our real heart needs to be. What did Christ say? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he said, lay out for yourselves treasure in 
heaven. So when your stock market takes a dive, don't worry too much about that, right? Right? Because it's not down here. And God will take care of you. Don't, don't. Our home is over there. That's where we're going to live forever. Over there. The redeemed Israel is going to be there. Who are they? Well, they're all, the, all the Old Testament saints are going to be there. Wouldn't it be cool to go talk to Noah and just ask him, you know, what was it like to build an ark for 120 years? You know, what was that like back then? How about talking to Enoch? You know, and say, would you please explain to me what it meant when you walked with God and He just took you? Could you explain that? I've been trying to figure that out for 50 years and I haven't got it. Or talking to Paul. What did you really mean when you wrote that in Hebrews? I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, I mean, we'll be able to do that for all of eternity. We will have fellowship and communion with the saints, with the holy angels, and with God Himself who's going to be there. All the redeemed of all the ages are going to be there. Every redeemed person, whether you're in the millennium, whether you're Adam, all the way, all the way through history, they're going to be there. And here's, here's the cool part. This is the best part of it. The Father is going to be there. What can't you do right now? You can't see God and live, can you? But, you know, in Revelation 20 it says God will dwell among them and they will be His people and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. The indication there is that I'm going to be able to talk to God like I'm talking to one of you. Now that is a wild idea, isn't it? To be able to see God and not be burned out of existence because there won't be any sin in you. There won't be any imperfection. There won't be anything that would... That would detract from that relationship, the relationship with your Creator. Think of the fullness and the joy of the relationship with your Creator and having sin and being able to see Him face to face and talk to Him. What must have been for Adam to talk to God in the cool of the day? And that's what it's going to be like. The Father's going to be... The Father's not going to be off somewhere, out somewhere, and we're not going to be around. We're going to be able to see God face to face. And I'm only going to be able to see God... And by the way... God in heaven is a spirit, right? So we're going to see maybe the glory of God. We're not, he's not a person. He's not a physical being that we're going to talk to. But who is a physical being in heaven? Jesus Christ is. You're going to be able to talk to Him. How would you like to do that? I mean, really, not prayer, but I mean, talk to Him like face-to-face talk to Him. And see Him face-to-face. Um, he's going to be there. And we'll be able to do that. You say... Boy, you know, that's going to be an awfully long line. There's billions and trillions and quadrillions of years. You're going to have plenty of time with Jesus one on one. Don't worry about that. The closest thing I can Yeah. Let me ask you a very um, convicting question. I have to ask myself now and then. When you see God, is He going to be a total stranger to you? Yeah, you know, a lot of Christians, you know, when they, when they finally see God, it's almost like He's going to be a total stranger. Because they've never taken the time to get to know Him now. Now, there's a sense in which that's true for all... I mean, no matter how close you are to God, He's, he's infinitely above and beyond that, right? 
But the point is this. Shouldn't we try to get close to God now so that when we finally see Him, He's not going to be a total stranger to us? That can happen. You know that, right? And what, what made heaven attractive to Christ? I'm going to see, or to Paul. He said, I'm going to see Christ. I mean, the others are okay. That, that's, you know, that's icing on the cake. I'm going, I'm going to be able to see God. That's what I want to go see. And I like that song, you know, when my Savior first of all. Who's the first one you want to see in heaven? My Savior first of all. Oh yeah, it's going to be great to see Paul and see all these others. But you know, I want to look up Christ first. He's going to be there. And how is He going to be there? Who else? The Holy Spirit is going to be there. The whole Trinity is going to be there. And just so you realize that this is our home, our eternal home, I like the way it puts it at the end of Revelation. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Who's the bride? Us, the church. Now, the last I looked up in etiquette, you don't invite people to somebody's house other than your own, right? So, if the Spirit and the bride say, come, (coughs) what is the bride saying? That's their home. The invitation is to heaven. And notice what it says, the Spirit and the bride, both of them. That shows a communion there, doesn't it? I mean, folks, I don't know how to... You know, when you talk about heaven, and we'll hopefully finish this up next week, when you talk about heaven, we can't describe it. The best you can do is get close. (laughs) And even then, you're a long ways off from describing it. So, um, hopefully this has helped you. And maybe answered a few questions, but we've probably got a lot more. You know, some of them the Bible just hasn't filled in for us yet. So, hopefully we'll finish this up next week. Any questions or comments before we go? Okay. Let's close in prayer. Father, thanks so much for this time that we've had. And admittedly, Father, when we look forward to heaven, there's just so much we don't know. You didn't tell us. And that's okay, because if you told us, we probably wouldn't understand it anyways. So we need to trust you on that. And we, we thank you, Father, and we, we look forward to that day when in your timing we stand in your presence without sin and be able to enjoy looking at you and be able to just fellowship with you for all of eternity, unhindered by physical limitations, unhindered by our own frailties of the flesh, but just enjoying you forever. And we thank you that you've made it possible through the death of your Son for our sin. Thank you for forgiving us and thank you for this short trip we've been able to make to heaven today. In Christ's name, amen.